So welcome everyone to another episode of the EQ Emotional Intelligence Elevator Podcast, where I use emotional intelligence to help build bridges, not burn them, and elevate the leadership. And today I have a very special guest on this very special topic, uh, Kunjal Tana, who works in the cybersecurity recruitment industry and is currently a director at LT Harper in the United Kingdom. And Kunjal and I met virtually, we've never met yet in person, when I did a virtual workshop for the European Cybersecurity Organization on how we can bridge the skills gap in security, cybersecurity through emotional intelligence. I loved her insights and input and active participation during the workshop. So I invited her to come uh, in as a guest because I think we have... Uh, a lot of uh, questions and, and insights and curiosity on the life of a cyber secu uh, security recruiter and also this dynamic that we currently face with this huge uh, gap. So I can't wait to get started and the floor is yours. Why don't you introduce yourself and share with our audience how you got into the industry? Sure. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me here. So I have worked in tech recruitment for about 20 years, something like that. I worked for one of the big UK companies um, for most of that time. And I spent 10 years of my career actually in the US. So the company that I worked for was setting up a business in the US. And I put my hand up to be one of um, a small group of people who went out there to um, start out their US business, which was a phenomenal experience. Um both personally and professionally. And yeah, the five of us took that from one office in New York to nine offices and 450 people in the 10 years that I was out in the US. And then I moved back to the UK um, and I was interviewing with a lot of recruitment companies. Um, and I, I had the luxury of having taken off a chunk of time from work between leaving the US and coming back to the UK, which I'm so glad I did. I'm just, I'm really glad that I had that opportunity. And I recognize it was a, a luxury to be able to do that. But I, I genuinely think if I hadn't have had taken that time off, I wouldn't be running this business now because I think I probably would have just walked into the same job I was doing when I left San Francisco. But I really thought about what parts of my career have I been the happiest? And it was when I was building something. So it was when I first started working in recruitment and I built a desk from scratch and then did the same in the US. And I thought well, that's what I want to do, but I had no kind of intention of setting up a business on my own. So I started interviewing with lots and lots of different companies. And by that point, I was very clear about how I wanted to do recruitment. I wanted it to be really focused around strong, long-term relationships with customers who were looking for jobs or looking to have roles in their businesses filled. I wanted to specialize in one technology and cybersecurity made sense because of the demand that there is in that space. And I really wanted to make a big impact around diversity, equity and inclusion within the industry I was recruiting for. I was interviewing and I just found that, uh, that there wasn't really a company that was going to allow me to do all of those things in the ways that I felt like I could really be impactful. So I had coffee with the guy who used to be my boss before I moved to America. And yeah, we talked about how things might look if we set up a business together. And, and that's how the business was set up in 2017. So we're now almost 20 headcount. Um, and we cover the UK, which is our original market, the US and Europe, specifically focused on cybersecurity hiring for both permanent and contract hiring. 
It's an inspiring uh, story as well from a fellow entrepreneur, also someone who who left NATO to get off uh, on her own. But thank you for sharing. And I would be interested to learn more about the challenges you currently face because we keep hearing the amount of cybersecurity vacancies that are uh, vacant currently. And so we hear a lot of statistics, but I think there is so many more layers to it. It is not only what we see and what we hear. And I'd love to hear a little bit about how you navigate these challenges and how you're also looking into the future and what your insights is are, insights are, correct English, Nadia, uh, on how do we bridge uh, this gap? Yeah, it's a really interesting one. And I think in the time that I've run this business, which has been focused on cybersecurity recruitment, that number has only increased and not gone down. And I think that the reason that the number keeps going up is because of the evolution of threats within the space. So it's not like these are vacancies that just aren't being filled. There are just more threats that are coming our way and newer skills that are required to protect businesses and protect individuals from those threats. It's a really hot debate, I think, as to whether we can really call it a, a gap in talent or is it a gap in skills? And I think this is is such a big topic. I think my view on it is we have to get creative about how we fill those vacancies because we're not mm. going to get people who are the finished article for every single one of those open vacancies in cybersecurity. They just won't have all the experience that's required, either because they're just so in demand and they're well looked after by their employers because they're good at their job, or they just won't have had that exposure because these that these skills haven't been around for such a long time. I think there's a real kind of opportunity really to get creative and think about who could fill those vacancies. They may not currently be doing a cybersecurity role right now, um, but they may well have the core aptitude to do the work that is required. It will take some investment in development of their skills, but I think that's how I view the only way that we'll be able to shrink that gap. I actually don't think we will shrink it because I think the number will keep growing, but I think that's going to be super, super important to think about. Yes, thank you for sharing. I think it's uh, one cloud that looms large and continues to loom large, and it will be interesting also to see how that evolves with AI. Just the other day, I needed yeah. to adapt a source code. I don't know anything about source code, and then I panicked a little bit and then I said, oh, wait, let me ask ChatCTP. And literally ChatCPT just, I, I used the prompt. So I, I learned how to ask. And they came up with the source code exactly how I wanted it. So that will be an interesting discussion as well on how do we upskill to really use people for their human, creative, critical design thinking skills. Exactly. And, and the AI generative for the technical coding, which is going to be a personal challenge as well, right? Because you have people yeah. who have trained themselves and they yeah. have identified with being a coder or in certain expertise. So that is going to also require human touch and change management. And when we look, so that was the, the first floor of the EQ elevator. And when we look at the, the second floor, which is more about the other perspective. So here I'd love to focus a little bit on the well-being of cybersecurity teams. I think one critical component for any talent recruitment, but especially for cyber, 
is how can, or in the war for talent, how can organizations guarantee a higher quality of life at work? And because the cyber burnout is real and burnout in the industry is real. So what is your experience in that? How do you integrate that in your strategies? And also what are your views or what would you give um, some uh, insights or advice to our audience in when it comes to the personal aspect of being cybersecurity talent? Yeah, it's again, another really hot topic, right? Especially in the US, right? With CISOs kind of now being under so much more scrutiny and the, the risk is much bigger than it ever has been for a CISO who ends up being at the helm of a company that that has a major breach. I, I think it's it's quite scary, actually. If we continue to work at the way that we are working, we're just going to detract more people from the industry. And that's the last thing we want to do. We just can't afford for people to be leaving the industry. And it is happening. Um, I think there are some pockets of the industry that are more problematic than others. So instant response is probably the one that immediately comes to mind, right? It's super high pressure. It's super reactive. It's really demanding in terms of the quick turnaround of a resolution and it's an area that is a huge moneymaker for organizations. A lot of companies are now wanting to set up these types of businesses. And the people that they want to hire to come and be at the top of the tree when they're hiring, when they're building out an instant response practice, for example, is somebody who's done that already. But the people who've done that already are so burnt out that they just don't have the appetite to do it again. Again, this is about, for me, thinking about has somebody been in that environment and were they the second in command, were they the, second, were they the third in command? Did they get enough exposure that they could go and build something from scratch? And I think there is risk involved in that. Of course there is, but there are only so many people who've gone in and built something from scratch. And it isn't just the building from scratch, because if you're the first person who's in an instant response team, you're probably a team of one. So you're getting all your processes together. You're actually responsible for the delivery. You are on 24-7 until you've proven that there's a business case for this instant response team to be around and to grow. But that's a long time, right, before mm. you, you're not on a 24-hour shift for months, maybe years. It's no wonder that people are burning out and leaving the industry specifically for that for that um, stripe of cybersecurity, if you like. There's another thing for me um, that falls under the well-being umbrella, and I don't think it's really discussed that much. And it has become less of a problem since the pandemic, fortunately. But it does come under the umbrella for me of gender diversity in the industry as well, and being from that perspective. Historically, people who are working in security operations centers, they're working on pretty odd shift patterns. So. Mm -hmm. You might be getting into work at 6 a.m. or getting home at midnight, right? And the reality is that the world is just less safe for women traveling on their own at those times. And that can be a detractor for women getting into these roles, which are quite typically the entry-level roles. And if we can't get women into the entry-level roles because it's dangerous for them, they don't feel safe, then we're just we're exacerbating the problem because they'll just never get through. I do think that's changed since the pandemic and a lot of these roles can be done home. But these are all things that sometimes don't get the time and attention that's required for 
us as an industry to really think about what are the barriers? Why have we got these issues? And can we knock them down somewhere? Can we make can we make part of the package that you get your travel taken care of or whatever that looks like? But these are things that need to be taken into consideration. Yes, and actually it's a um, great bridge to my, to the third floor, which we discussed in our preparation session, is the attraction of talent. When we look at, uh, I also focus in the STEM industry, that's also where I come from, it's a very technical job description. I also remember my time at NATO when we had job descriptions. When you read them, you were thinking, oh my God, <laughs> do I even understand these? And they continue to be quite technically hiring for, which is important because they need to assess currently the technical expertise. But more and more, and, and something also I touched upon the, during the workshop, if you remember, is how do we fuse the technical foundation with the leadership, with the culture, with the personal leadership skills, where, so people feel excited to become part of an organizational culture beyond the technical foundation. So that storytelling part. I'd love to have your views and insights on how much resistance there still is to that kind of storytelling in attracting the right talent. Instead of saying we need an architect who has SSQL MPC3A versus we need someone who is able to lead during an incident, you know, gather the people together and be able to perform these technical tasks. So this was just an example out of the blue, yeah. but I'd love to hear your views. Yeah, it's a great question and it's almost the question that could take up hours and hours of, of debate and conversation. Mm -hmm. So I'll try and cover as much of it as I can. Look, I think there are people, hiring managers, leaders who are doing a fantastic job of actually doing the storytelling, but not just doing the storytelling to, to check a box. They actually genuinely see the value in thinking creatively about how to attract people to fill the vacancies in their teams. And no surprises to me, those are the leaders who end up having the most diverse teams, the most loyal teams. I've got a client who I hired, I think, almost half of his security team about three years ago now. And I saw him two weeks ago, and he said that in that time, he's lost one person from his entire security team, which is more than 40 people. And that is unheard of in cyber, right? The rate of turning around of staff is really high. So there is some real value to bringing people in from um, different backgrounds through that storytelling because people can do the job, they can thrive, they can excel, and they stay because they see the investment that you've put into their career and their development. But if I'm really honest, he's probably the exception, not the rule, right? I think what I see a lot of is a lot of doing the storytelling. And I think people have got their head around, actually, this is going to attract me more types of people that aren't your standard applicants to cybersecurity vacancies. But it's the action that that's, is where it stops, right? I'm not seeing that many hiring managers who are thinking, do I really need somebody from a computer science background, right? Is that essential? Or actually, is it more important that this person is able to evaluate risk, maybe from a different kind of risk-focused career? Now, look, there is some, some areas of cyber where you have to have some really deep technical expertise, but I don't think you have to have a technical degree to get that technical expertise, right? 
And I think that, again, if we're thinking about diversity, a lot of people who are neurodivergent, they don't do really well in the kind of traditional school system. So they're not going to end up going to university. They won't have a degree in anything, let alone cybersecurity. But are they great at pen testing? Yeah, they're phenomenal, right? Or could they be great at any other area of cyber? Yeah, absolutely. So I think where the gap is actually as an industry, the storytelling needs to be about the success stories of where people have actually bitten the bullet and said, I'm going to take that risk and hire somebody from a non-traditional background and track that person's journey and share what their successes look like because they are out there. And that's, I think, what needs to be publicized even more so than I know it's not fear mongering. There's some truth in it, but I think that we need to change the the focus and put the lens on the positive stuff that has happened over the last five to 10 years in the industry and what has worked because that for me, gives people, other hiring managers more confidence to think, do you know what, I'm a bit nervous about hiring somebody who's not from the background that I would usually hire from, but it can work. These Here are all these examples of people who've acted. Yeah, this is where emotional intelligence comes in to help people guide with that uncertainty in the transition. And I also think the other way around is also true. I remember working with someone who was cybersecurity uh, expert and the, I looked at their website and I got an initial shock because the website was literally a page with green and black and numbers and then some contact details below. And I'm like, how do you believe you can brand yourself, position yourself with someone to actually hire, want to work with you? That was my perspective from a non, I have worked with cybersecurity experts in NATO, but still from an outsider perspective, for me, it, it created a lot of fear and darkness and unknown. So I had a very, big resistance to it visually already. And yeah. I think that the mindset is two ways. It's really important that how do we shift the way we view cyber? It's always going to be technical, but there's so much around it that needs to fit the current era we work in because everyone is dealing now with cyber, whether they like it or not. Right. Yeah. And, and this is the, the issue is how do we move away from when we hear cyber, we think our IT to know it's not actually IT, it's a culture, it's a leadership, it's a mindset. Yeah. And it's going to take some time, but we have to, we're going down that that route. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Two things on that for me. I think the visual thing is really impactful, right? We've all heard that phrase, you can't be what you can't see. But I, I think there's a bit of PR to be done on the cyber industry because when you mention cybersecurity to people, for me, the image that typically comes to mind, if you were to do a Google search, the image that comes to mind is a white man, young, in a dark hoodie, sitting in a room with lots and lots of computer screens. And that's not cybersecurity. It's not that at all. There's so much of it that's about being with people, engaging with people, winning hearts and minds to bring about change in processes and educating, right? That's a really critical part of it, right? That's sitting in the dark exactly. room is such a small part. And then the other part, which is for me about the language, if you think about cybersecurity, it, it's come from the military, right? So a lot of the words that we use in the industry are inherently quite masculine. So wargaming, cyber defense, they're all words that are focused around a male sector in, in the industry. So thinking again from a diversity lens, which is one of those things that is I'm passionate about it, but it's also super important to the industry. And um, 
we can't necessarily go about and change all of the words that we use, but if we can't change those words, then when we're writing adverts and, and job descriptions to attract candidates, we really need to think about that because we need to think about how do we make these job descriptions ones where there is more feminine language and there's statistical proof to show that where you've got a more balanced, gender balanced advert or job description, you will get a better um, rate of applicants, not just more diversity, but higher volume and more diverse applicants. So I think those things, the PR and the language that we use are, are super important to make an impact on what the numbers of people working in the industry look like. And there is one more thing that's come to mind. I said there's going to be so many things, but I think as an industry, again, we do so much work around attracting people into the industry. And I think that's the right thing to do. It's phenomenal. But I think the real work now needs to, do, to be around educating people already in the industry to give opportunities to those people who are working hard to skill themselves up to work in the industry. We can't keep hiring amongst the people who have already got the experience. Somebody's got to be able to take the risk on hiring people who have got a baseline level of skills because otherwise we're just going to be going around in circles. Exactly. And especially when it comes to cybersecurity, these skills have short cycles. You have to always upskill, upskill because the application changes as well. And just a very quick anecdote. I remember I did this tabletop exercise at the large conference. And when I went upstage and afterwards the, the host shared with me, she's, you're funny and you got brains. I thought you're going to be very serious because you're from NATO and cybersecurity. And, 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 and I didn't, I took it as a compliment. But just to show the bias, because yep. my background from NATO, I was going to talk about emotional firewalls. So everyone expected a very serious topic. And I was there cracking some Dutch humor jokes and make it about emotional intelligence, which shifted people's perspective. Uh, but their initial reaction is, oh, this is going to be very serious. And, and But I think, and this is the, the beauty of it, is not necessarily focus on or pointing fingers on the bias, how can we shift perspectives? How can we open people's minds in their map of the world? Because this yeah. is a transition we're facing and we will always face instead of having this very fixed mindset. Yeah. We we are almost at the end and I still have two 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 questions. And then when we look at the fourth floor, so from a business perspective, is one of the crucial elements for success is the partnership between the organization and the recruiter. I remember from my experience, this was not always uh, easy on, we didn't always know what we wanted, but we needed someone fast and yesterday, which puts a lot of pressure on you as well, I think. And I think how do you, how is uh, inherently or the traditional relationship between the client, the business looking for cybersecurity talent and the recruiter, and how do you see this evolving and, and what are some of the core values that you apply between your partnerships with your clients that can inspire others? Yeah. So I'll go straight to the bit about core values. And it's really quite simple from a values perspective. It's about trust and credibility. That's where you get the trust from, right? And where does that come from? It comes from proving that you can deliver, either finding people the right job or finding the right talent for a specific team. I think that's from a values perspective where, you know, where that piece starts. I think if your question is, 
what are relationships like between recruiters and hiring managers, it's really varied. Some of them are great because there's lots and lots of trust both ways and it's a partnership and you're both on the same team. You want to get the right person for your team for the right price point and you want to work at the right kind of speed. It works really well when everybody's on the same page, everybody's transparent, everybody's honest, and that's where that trust comes from. Obviously, a lot of companies will have somebody in a recruitment team involved as well. So that's a third person that in an optimum environment, all three people are working together to to make something happen, right? Now, historically, and I think this is changing, where things start to become difficult is where any one of those three parties feels like they need to protect information more than anyone else. If all the cards are not on the table, then we just don't know all the data points that we're working with. When I started working in recruitment, and I'm pleased to say it's very rarely like this anymore, but the in-house recruitment team was seen as the gatekeepers of any kind of interaction between the recruiter and the hiring manager. But I think people are learning that kind of interaction between those two people is crucial because we're not just finding candidates for that vacancy. We're actually selling people on choosing your opportunity over inevitably the three or four other opportunities that they're going to have because we know that these people are in demand, right? And they will have choices. So we need to be an extension of your business to be able to sell your opportunity in the best way and to understand what are the opportunities for somebody to join your business. And the less we know about that, the more difficult that job becomes to actually find the right people, but more importantly, to convince them that this is the right import, the right opportunity for them, if it is the right opportunity for them. My true belief is that if it's not the right opportunity, I'd rather be upfront with everybody because the last thing anyone wants is to hire somebody or start a new job and it doesn't work out. Nobody wins yeah. in that situation. Yeah. Trust breaks. Exactly. I think those things are, are super important. And so we've come to the end and I will ask a last question and I'm going to play the devil's advocate. In my four years now as entrepreneur, I have done some consultancy and I've been approached several times by cybersecurity recruiters on job opportunities. Now, when I when it was during the pandemic and I was in, in need and, and I needed uh, uh, more income, I got ghosted several times. So I took it very personal because I think we hear this over and over again that recruiters just never get back and it's, it takes a toll on us. Now I'm much clearer on, on my mission and uh, the type of work I want to do. So I, I don't take it personal anymore. But I still get approached for opportunities and then they'd never come back. So I'd love to hear your view and your take as the cybersecurity recruiter on this phenomena that people say why I think recruiters in general have, I don't know if I can generalize, but have this reputation of not getting back. But I would love to hear your views and insights on that. Yeah, it's such a conundrum for recruiters. And, and yeah, I, I think I, I'd like to think I speak for all good recruiters that everyone has good intentions to get back to anybody who applies. But the truth is that the sheer volume of applicants we get sometimes is so high that we're left with a decision to make, which is send a very generic electronic rejection message to somebody or get back to them at some point, right? Now, neither of those scenarios are ideal if you're on the receiving end of those. Everybody wants a, a kind of conversation to explain why something's not going to be moving forward. But 
given the volume of applicants we have, it's just not realistic when we're given the, t- the timeframes that we're working to. If a, a company has asked us to find them candidates for a specific vacancy, we will be under time pressure from them to get them a slate of candidates to select from in quite a short time frame. But I think there's another part to that, which is what we've already talked about, the piece around we get instructed by a buyer. The buyer is the the hiring manager who has, a, in their mind, a pretty clear picture of who they want on their team and what skills do they already have. And as a recruiter, the first thing that we're going to be doing is scanning through, do these people meet the the minimum requirements that the clients asked us for? And if they don't, then unfortunately, there are times when we can't always get back to everyone, right? It's not ideal. I'm not pretending that it doesn't suck. It's a horrible thing to, to happen, but that is the reality of why it happens. But the work needs to be done then, I think, again, on the hiring manager's side, right? Do you actually need all of those things on a CV or a resume? Do you need those words? Or is there enough trust between you and me that you've told me this is the kind of person you want? I can go and speak to 50 people and I'll tell you from my experience and my expertise and my professional opinion, who are the best people, regardless of what's on their CV or resume, because we've had a discussion about what you're looking for. These people meet those criteria. I think these are the people you should you'd speak to. And I do have clients who where I have that relationship, but that happens over time. It's not gonna yeah. they're not immediately gonna trust you to say, do you know what? You the yeah. last two times you've hired, you've got me the right people, even though I probably wouldn't have interviewed them based on their CV. That that comes with time. But the message I'd give people is please try not to get disheartened if you don't hear back from a recruiter. Please also don't feel bad about chasing recruiters, right? I think you're in perfectly entitled to chase to get feedback. It might just not come immediately, but I think it's the right thing for people to try and make time to give some feedback, some guidance, some advice on if you, you know your CV doesn't look quite right, how can you change it so that you get better responses time? But I think a lot of it depends on where you are in your career, in your mindset. Early in your career, you're going to get a lot more rejections than as you move yeah. up. Some experience. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. If I got in a dollar or a euro for every rejection I got, I would be a multi-billionaire by now. Yeah. And I think what really helped me as well, so first obviously is the empathy part, because when we tend to situations to our map of the world, which is a narrow tunnel vision, and our brain needs to manage its energy, so it will assume a lot and then not necessarily incorporate the other person's world and different factors that we haven't thought of. But the other thing I came to, it really gave me a lot of inner peace, if I can say so, is closure is sometimes overrated. I think as human beings, we tend in relationships, which is the same thing. We want closure. If I only, I knew why. But if you give yourself that closure sometimes and accept it, and you can use that energy to move on. I think a lot of times if we get feedback, great. And often I got myself feedback. I'm like, okay, what did I learn and how can I move forward? Why I'm not going to waste my energy yeah. on the trying to figure out why. And having been on the hiring side as well, there are so many factors. And a lot of times it's just who, which the candidate presents the least risk for the organization. And it doesn't mean that there's apps or the good fit. There are so many factors yeah. and are beyond our, the applicant's control. And I think letting go of needing closure is a huge positive emotion for 
being yeah. at peace and using your energy wisely, from my personal experience at least. Yeah. And I think it's a really important thing to talk about right now with the market the way that it is. There will be more rejections. People are still hiring, but they are being more cautious than they have been. So you might feel like you might feel like the reason you're being rejected is irrelevant and just not fair but it's happening a lot and you're definitely not alone if that's happening to you it's happening a lot thank you i still have so many more questions and we can do a whole other episode on ai and how that is going to interact so uh, probably i'll have you back in the future uh, this was a great conversation so how can people connect with you find you and uh, even work with you Yep, best way to find me is via LinkedIn. So I think there's a link to my LinkedIn on here. So yeah, that's probably the best place to reach me. Thank you. Thank you for this these amazing insights. I'm sure you have put the minds of many cybersecurity seeking people at ease as well as businesses. And thank you to the audience for listening. And we look forward, I look forward to the next episode. Bye everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the EQ Emotional Intelligence Elevator Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and gained valuable insights into the world of emotional intelligence. To learn more about Thrive with EQ and Nadia's mission to build stronger, more resilient workplaces through higher levels of emotional intelligence, visit our website at thrivewitheq.com. You'll find a plethora of EQ leadership resources, tools, and services to help you and your organization thrive. Thank you again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends and colleagues. As always, keep thriving with EQ.